Well, good morning, Metamora Mennonites. It is good to gather. May the Lord's grace and peace be with each of you. The Lord is gracious. God is faithful. And may the Spirit continue to guide us in our worship this morning as we dive into our text uh, in Philippians. So often on Sunday mornings, uh, we preach from the gospel text of the Revised Common Lectionary. And I get excited sometimes when we go off script, if you will. Uh, For instance, when we had the series this past summer, Seeking God Together was not a lectionary-based series, but we had this thing, and it was just fun to take a break from that. And this Sunday is sort of a standalone Sunday, and uh, because next week we have uh, Zion Baptist Church, who will be joining us. I think there's a slide for that. Uh, Next Sunday for worship at 10, and then we will have a meal following, and so we're excited to uh, welcome our brothers and sisters, and there'll be more sharing uh, regarding the, uh, the uh, trip that we just recently took together down to Memphis. And then after that, we'll begin a new fall series called Roots, okay? Roots. Uh, and this will take us all the way to Advent season. And in Roots, we will actually take a look at a, a deeper look at this Anabaptist Mennonite understanding of the faith, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. So again, often on Sunday morning, our Sunday mornings, our central focus is on a gospel text from Jesus and his life and his preaching. Though today we turn to Paul. And if you're unfamiliar with Paul's story, it's an inspiring story of a complete life change. A 180 turn. From a life of, of bringing followers of the way, that is, followers of Jesus, to their death to living and preaching this euangelion, living and preaching this good news uh, that he so adamantly opposed and despised. In his work as an apostle and as an evangelist, he encountered much resistance and many hardships. And he explains those trials in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And it goes like this. Paul is boasting about some of his trials, some of the hardships that he has gone through. Whatever, what, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I like that. <laughs> I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they, uh, dis- um, are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I love this. And I'm out of my mind when I talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, because 40 would kill you. Next slide. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, and in danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the country. In danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. 
The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to suffer and to endure hardship for the sake of Christ. When I think of Paul, and I think of his life, and I think of his struggle and his pain, all that he was giving, all that he was sacrificing, the darkness he experienced, and how often he must have felt alone, how discouraged he must have been, it reminds me of the old and perhaps lesser-known song from David Crowder called All I Can Say. And I'd like to play the first two verses of that song now. I'm sure it's a lovely song. That's for sure. All I can say, it's a top one on the list there. consider these words from Paul as well as the lyrics from this song. I'm wondering, did any of it land for you? Did anything resonate? 
Did anyone say I? Uh, did anyone say I? Amen. For I know what that's like. For they, these lyrics can be descriptive, perhaps, of your current season, or perhaps from seasons past, years past. Maybe it's descriptive of someone whom you love dearly. So what do you do when you're hard-pressed? When things are difficult? When experiencing a long season of desolation? When it feels like you simply just can't go on? Paul, at the time of his writing, as Gail shared, at the time of the writing of Philippians, he is in prison for being a faithful witness of Christ. A time of darkness, to be sure. Yet, let's have everyone say yet, yet, Paul speaks of joy. Paul speaks of joy or rejoice 13 times in four short chapters in his letter to Philippians. And here's a portion of that letter. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the, uh, the, help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed of the gospel. Ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. but it is more, necess more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you. Um, yeah, I think I'm off a little bit, sorry. Let's go to the next slide. Convinced of this. I've, I've ruined that, <laughs> sorry. Oh, yeah, convinced of this, I, rem I will remain. Um, sorry. I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for progress and joy in the faith. Again, I'll say it again. Progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your what? Your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. For, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says he is torn. This word torn is um, soon ekomai, is the Greek word, soon ekomai. And it means hard pressed. It means to be between a rock and a hard place. It could also mean hemmed in on both sides. I am in a bad place. Why? Well, there's two forces at play here. Part of me just wants to die, just wants to end it and go be with Christ. And part of me wants to go on because I know this will mean fruitful labor for me. Depart and be with Christ. Some argue he might be thinking about suicide. Just end it. Just be done with it. Even in his culture, it was honorable to recognize that when you have given it your all, and you have nothing left. That is indeed all I can say. That is my everything. I would rather depart, this word depart, analusai. It's a military term. It means to strike camp, to die. You have your army, you have your tent. It's set up somewhere, and it means to strike camp. We need to move on. It's time to analusai. 
it's time to fold up the tent and head to a new place to depart. It's also a nautical term, analusi. It means pulling up anchor, that is to sail away. Sometimes used as a euphemism for death. Pull up anchor. It's time to move on. And I wonder in your life, have you ever had this season? Have you ever had this to be true for you? The thing that you may be going through, maybe you'd just rather leave and go to strike camp to pull up anchor. Paul here taps into the reality uh, of those things that even you and I might go through in life. You find yourself thinking, I'd rather just leave. I'd rather just die than go through what I'm going through. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's someone you care deeply about. We see in the book of Psalms, and we see it here um, with Paul in his letter to the church in Philippi, gut-level honesty. Gut-level honesty. Paul is saying, part of me just wants to die and be with Christ, which is better by far. Though, for your sake, church of Philippi, I will remain in the flesh that is in his body. And Paul will continue with what? All for, uh, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul, at this current time, is away from the church at Philippi. Some scholars believe, on the uh, next slide here, that he is either in Rome or in Ephesus in prison. And there's Philippi, so there's distance. There's distance between Paul and the church that he so dearly loves. There's a distance between them, yet there is a genuine love between them. He is writing a letter to the people that matter so, so much to him. Paul, though, is convinced that he is going to remain, he's going to stay, that his time in jail will not be the last word because of his connection and his relationship to the Philippians. There is something going on here, and it bonds them together. And Paul, in Paul's moment of honesty, yeah, I want to go and be with, uh, with the church in Philippi. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to stick this out with you. I'm going to be with you in your journey, Paul says, because of what your because for your continued progress and joy. So what does this all mean? Paul has a particular idea, a particular belief, a particular understanding of who God is and what God is up to in the world. And in this death row moment, with all the suffering that he has endured, how can Paul speak of progress and joy? How can Paul speak of progress and joy given what he's experienced? I think it's a, I think it's a paradox. Next slide. Saw that this week, I thought I'd do it. I'd give it to you. It's a paradox. How can he experience what he's experienced and yet speak of progress and joy? Well, Paul falls back on this fundamental understanding of who he of who he knows God to be and what it means for his connection with this church. Because, friends, the truth is we don't know what we truly believe what our true convictions are until we suffer. Until we find ourselves in a difficult spot. 
It is then and in that difficult time that we truly find out who we trust and what we believe. How can Paul speak of progress and joy given his, his, his uh, current circumstances? How is that possible? Well, a little bit more on Paul's understanding of God. We turn to John 16. John says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine, that is Jesus, and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why the Holy Spirit will take it from what is mine and make it known to you. You say it this way. Paul, next slide. Um, the Father gives to Jesus. Jesus receives from the Father. The Father gives to the Spirit. The Spirit receives from the Father. The Spirit gives to Jesus. Jesus receives from the Spirit. Jesus gives to the Spirit. Spirit receives from Jesus. Anyone confused? Another picture would be this. It's the Holy Trinity. It's a relationship. All three persons, in some mysterious way, make up this uh, nature of the divine, giving to each other and receiving from one another what exactly? Well, love. Love is, is this giving and receiving, giving and receiving. There's a looping energy, a, self, a circle of self-giving love that is present in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And Paul has been captured by the reality of the Trinity. You can trace it through his writings and his letters. Cornelius uh, uh, Plantingay, engaging God's word, says it this way. At the center of the universe, self-giving love is the dynamic currency of the Trinitarian life of God. The, person within God uh, the persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, and defer to one another. This three-in-one God is so full of endless love that joy just spills out onto each other. God is love, but how do you love if it's only you? Love demands another. Father, Son, Spirit, Trinitarian. And from there, love just spills over. It simply cannot um, be, uh, love cannot be contained. It spills over. It's dynamic flowing back and forth in this trinity. It's like a dance. There is a movement. This leads me, this leads us to ask some very profound questions. Is your God static, fixed, and unmoving? Or is God dynamic, active, and on the move? Does God never stop moving, giving, creating, loving, and overflowing with this joy? important because when your back is up against the wall and you're facing your own execution like Paul now I hope no one here is facing their own execution but we have our stuff don't we we have the things that are hard in our lives uh, but in this season of desolation and despair this serves as a great reminder that we have a Trinitarian God because it's in those hard spaces that we find our true convictions and what we um, and our and what our beliefs are. 
Paul has tapped into the idea that God is doing something in relationships. God is dynamic love. For Paul, God is up to something in the world and in his life. God is not asleep at the wheel. How can Paul speak of progress and joy in his current situation? And because God is endless, this endless self-giving community of love, God's love and joy cannot be contained. It does spill over, and it spills over in joy. This truth needs to be, uh, we need to allow it to deeply shape how we see things in our own lives and in the world. If oneness and unity and harmony is at the heart of the universe, then no wonder we create we create, uh, crave connection with one another. Paul is in a situation where he is in great pain. He's in great pain. And yet he wants to continue with the church at Philippi for what? For their progress and joy in the faith. In, in the 1940s, German pastor uh, named uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of a group who refused to show allegiance to Hitler. Part of the group, uh, uh, the group of people was called the Confessing Church. And they start in, uh, stating that we follow Christ, not Hitler. The Nazi regime arrested Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his friends. And in 1942, he finds himself in prison and he writes a letter to his friends back at his church. He writes to the brethren, brethren at Finkenwald. Dear brethren, at the beginning of this letter, which is to awaken you to the right kind of joy in serious times. I must list who have been killed since I last wrote. How can he speak of joy? Speaking of joy and how uh, you get through trials, it says this. The, the letter continues. This kind of joy is not something that you artificially work up or is demanded of us, but it is a gift freely given. Joy dwells in God and comes from him, possessing spirit, soul, and body. Once this joy has grasped, grasped a person, it grows, it carries him away, it throws open the closed door. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is in prison, just like Paul. People are being killed left and right by Hitler. Bonhoeffer eventually was ex executed by the Nazis as an enemy of the state. This joy that comes from the deepest places of God, it is present in the very nature of God. It is a gift of God. And if you tap into that, it will throw open the closed door. Finally, in his letter, he concludes with the following. The joy of God has been through the poverty of the manger and the affliction of the cross. Therefore, it is indestructible and irrefutable. It does, it does not deny affliction when it's there, but it finds in the very midst of distress that God is there. It looks death in the face, and it is there that it finds So back to Philippians, as I took that detour to the Trinitarian God. Back to Philippians, this progress and joy in the faith, progress is central to the faith. Because if you're not growing, the opposite may be true. 
you could be dying. Growth can take us back uh, earlier in the letter. Paul says, what has happened to me in, in verse 12? Now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, the witness of the good news. This is, an, uh, this is actually serving to advance the message of Jesus. Even though these terrible things may be happening, how we react, how we wrestle with the situation, how we respond to crisis, how we, how we respond when our backs are against the wall. Now, for Paul, it looked a certain way, but for us, it might be a health diagnosis, tragedy, loss of employment. Maybe it's a, a, a heavy family conflict. And you find yourself saying, this is all I can say. This is my everything. It's all that in our response to it is an invitation to show the world what God is truly like. It can serve as a witness to a watching world. The church at Philippi couldn't have been more than two to three years old at this time. Two to three years old. Couldn't. I mean, couldn't be uh, um, uh, older than that. Very young. Paul longed for their church, the church at Philippi, to continue to progress towards greater and greater Christ-likeness as a body. Well, our church, Metamore Mennonite Church, Metamore Mennonite, well, we've been around since 1833. Almost 190 years. And friends, we have not arrived. So may we continue to progress together as we navigate what church is like in our time and place. And may we be found uh, to become greater and greater in Christ-likeness as a body. Perhaps you or someone close to you is experiencing these things that make you want to pull a banker, that make you want to strike camp. But today, it's really the, the reminder through the Trinitary relationship at the core, at the heart of the, re- the universe, that joy overflows because of that relationship of the Trinitarian God. God is faithful, and it's an invitation simply to keep going. Keep going. Because God is with you, and God is for you. And we'll just uh, close with the final uh, verse of the song from before. Not much. Well, this is all that I.
Yeah,